one of the great experiences of my life was to go splunking, uh, caving. Uh, any of you done this before? A few of you? No? I'm the only one, huh? Well, it's really fun to say, and um, spelunking is also really interesting. It, as we talk about light in the darkness, I, uh, I, I don't mind sleeping in a really dark room. We have those shades at our home that are tempting to keep the light out, but I had not experienced darkness until I had gone into a cave. And we were in this cave for a couple of hours, and usually you'd wear your headlamp and you'd have a flashlight, but there's one point when our guide told us that she wanted us to turn off our flashlights, turn off the headlamps, and to hold one another's hands as we walked through a relatively flat area. Now, there were stalagmites and stalactites all over the place. Do you guys know what the difference is between those? The kids are like, yeah, there's an M in one of them, right? You know that, right? No, just kidding. That's a bad joke, right? No, some of you are just getting it right now. So stalactites and stalagmites. Well, we're walking through this, and then after about 10 minutes, now, let me remind you of what happens to your eyes when you're in darkness. The, the pupils dilate, right? Because what they're doing is they're trying to capture any bit of light that's in the room. And then what our guide did after we'd been in perfect darkness for about 10 minutes is she took out a match and you would have thought that it was as bright as this room is. Now, you guys know like these, these projectors that we have, they projected about 3,000 lumens. This would have been just one lumen, right? And, and she lights this candle. And what we found out was we were in a room in West Virginia that they called the cathedral. And it was this giant space. The ceiling was very high. And all around us, you could see the stalagmites. And it was just incredible. But, but what we realized was that the light pierced the darkness, Right? Now, what we're going to see in the book of John, John uses this theme of light, and he talks about darkness in a way that helps us to understand the Messiah, that the Messiah came into a very dark world. The Lord Jesus, when he came, he was prophesied to be the one who we read about already this morning that would pierce the darkness. And as he pierced the darkness, what he did was he exposed truth, that he allowed us to understand a pathway towards hope. And this is much more than just us being people who find ourselves struggling to match our socks in the darkness, right? Uh, this is more than just hitting your shins on the, the, the furniture when you don't have the lights on in the room. Actually, the description was spiritual darkness, the opposite of the things of God that are spiritual light. And those things we're see, we will see in the book of John describe an entire generation of people's ways of life. A, a group of people who've chosen to allow the deeds of the darkness to define their lifestyle. And, and I suggest this morning as we study God's word together that, that there's a purpose behind the life of a Christ follower that a person who doesn't know Christ cannot relate to. There's a joy, we've already talked about it, that is uncharacteristic, that pierces our circumstances. And in God's word, we're told that there's a battle that we have that's not just against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the principalities. Do you remember this? Of darkness. Now, let me remind you that darkness is the absence of light, but light always wins over the darkness. 
And so the description of the Messiah, the one who came to pierce the darkness, is one that wins, that we're on the winning team, those of us who've chosen to place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of John, he uses multiple references of light to darkness. But one of the things that stands out to me is the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 8, verse two, he, 12. He says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Lord Jesus is our guide. The Lord Jesus is the one who went before us. The Lord Jesus is literally described as the light of the world. This morning, we recognize that the, the darkness never overcomes the light. The Lord Jesus Christ is the true light of the world. And, and I, I just love when we study God's word, I hope you have time to do this, to understand how anticipated the Messiah was. That the very people who would reject the Lord Jesus Christ, many of which were people who prayed daily for the Messiah to come. That were people who anticipated his coming, that they looked forward to it. Like, like your children are like I am on, on Christmas Eve when we anticipate the next, some of you can't sleep the night before because it's so exciting. There was an anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. And what we see, if you'll turn back to me to these incredibly helpful words in John chapter one, beginning in verse one, what we will see is that the light was anticipated. It was highly anticipated. And when it came though, some individuals would choose to reject it. In the beginning, it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This reference to the capital case W word is to the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ was the pre-incarnate one. He existed before he came to the earth. And it says here that he was with God and he was God and he was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. I, I love when I send a birthday wish to someone, a friend of, of mine, I often say, I'm so glad that God invented you, you know? That Jesus is described here as being our inventor, the creator God, the one who invented his creation. And he was there from the beginning. And it says here that Jesus gives life both physically and also spiritually, that he provides for us this life. In verse four, it says this, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, my, my daughters aren't here, so I can say this, this service, they were here in the earlier service. One of them cannot get up in the morning to save her. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to turn on the lights. You know, the alarms don't work. They're just going off. And then, uh, am I sharing too much? Maybe this is too much information. But, but when the light comes on, I, I, I'm sad when I do it. I mean, it, it would be probably just as mean to take a bucket of water and dump it on her. But, but you can see it, like her eyes, they, they're just adjusting to the darkness, right? And it's from the darkness to light. And it's painful at the beginning. And I see this description, the light shines in the darkness. And you know what that means is that when that light switch goes on, it's just the darkness isn't there anymore. I think sometimes we think of this, this cosmic battle between good and evil as kind of a, an equal battle. You know, who's going to win? Actually, you guys, we're on the winning team. 
those of us who placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we, it's not even close. It's not a debate. And here what we see is the certainty of scripture. It says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I, I said this earlier, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness. Praise the Lord, the gates of hell are real. But praise the Lord that they will not prevail against the church. Like the Lord's in control. He's sovereign. He's good. You know, the Christ or the Messiah, those are, those are words that can be interchangeable. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. But Jesus the Messiah, when we say Jesus Christ, well, he was predicted and expected through incredible prophecies in Scripture. Mentioned last week that there's hundreds of them. It is, it is delightful to spend time studying these prophecies. And often in the New Testament, when we see in the Gospels, you guys remember this phrase, it was so that they might, the scriptures might be fulfilled or that there was a fulfillment of prophecy. But I just want to point out a few of these predictions of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the certainty of them were both powerful and helpful. The time of his birth, if you read Daniel chapter 8 and 9, you see Daniel's weeks and his descriptions of the time period when the Messiah would come. The fact that, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem is, is clear in Micah 5.2, that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. It's interesting that even Herod knew in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, he knew that there was going to be a Messiah that was coming and it says both him and others were afraid of it. You know why I think they were afraid? I think it's actually a fear that some of us in this room might actually have, is that Jesus was going to disrupt their lives. He was going to change the rules. He was going to move them from darkness into light. And that process can be a painful one, but it, it is the truth. It's the way. It's the way that God has designed for you and I to thrive and to function Another prophecy is that John the Baptist, there would be a forerunner, and John the Baptist would be that man, Isaiah 43-5 and Malachi 3.1 both talk about this idea of a forerunner coming, a herald who would proclaim Jesus. And we see this show up here now in verse 6, if you'll look with me at, in John 1 verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, that word John, that name John means gift from God. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. You know, this, this phrase about John being a witness, do you understand? He, he was the person who declared that Jesus was the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, that he was a voice in the wilderness. He was calling out, this, this is the one. Don't miss it. Jesus is for real. This is the Messiah. And you know what's incredible historically is that there were some people, even some that carry on to this day, the Mandean sect is to this day in the Middle East worshiping a version of John the Baptist today. Isn't that incredible? That they, they confuse the messenger with the message. We see this in scripture all of the time. And, and I'm afraid that that's partially what happens at Christmas time is, is in the lights and the celebrations and the songs that, that the message behind it gets missed. The Messiah can get mits, missed in the midst of so many different things that are, are good things, but that aren't the light. It says this very bluntly. Verse eight, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. 
verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This enlightenment means that Jesus Christ was going to bring the new covenant that would change everything. He would expose darkness. He would uh, allow the, the understanding of mankind to be adjusted from being just a physical thing that, that lives for its lifetime and then goes on to what's next to understanding them as image bearers of the living God. Literally people in the world, their lives were changed because of the new covenant that was bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scope of this is, is powerful. In verse nine, it says he gives light to everyone Jesus offered hope for all, but what we understand is that it required understanding the needs of all, that he understood the brokenness of our world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. This is so sad. It says, but the world did not know him. He was prophesied. He was predicted. He fulfilled the promises of what was coming, and yet the world chose not to know him. This, this grieves me. I, I think of, of darkness in general, and I think of the, the decisions in my own life that I've made, times when I've run from the Lord, times when I've ignored him. And I think it's as foolish as I was the day that I decided that I was going to paint my house starting in fall and um, realized that I could not paint my house during daylight hours. And so I strung up lights uh, to try to paint my house. Uh, we have a two-story home and uh, you can tell my neighbors love me. Can you just tell us? So late night, me trying to paint my house. And what I would find is that as much of an effort as I'd put forth, to do a good job, when the sun came up, it exposed all of the areas that I missed, right? And I, I think of that truth for each one of us that we can be people who choose to just say, I just want to stay in the darkness. I just want to keep living my way. I want to keep doing it the way I want to keep doing it. And yet what the Messiah offers for us is to know him, to understand him as our personal Messiah. And yet, for many, it says that, that even the Jews who had anticipated him, we see this in verse 11, even though he brought this revelation of, of light into the darkness and the light was shining brightly, it says in verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Do, do you remember the fickleness of those who at one moment cried, that this is, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And then just days later that they would say, crucify him, you know? And just, they, they were around the light, but they didn't recognize it. He gave them the gift to be adopted children, right? He offered them adoption into his family. And yet, unfortunately, not everyone got it, right? Just, just the truth. In fact, the light of Christ is often rejected. We see this clearly in John chapter 3 and verse 19. It says this, And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, this. I want to pause here for a second. I want to just point something. It's very interesting, that word, that's in the ESV, that's translated as the judgment. Uh, this word is actually a word that you and I get our English word crisis from. And it's important to understand, like what he's saying here is, this is like judgment, like I, I had to, 
to, to make a judgment call. We use that phrase, right? So, so here what he's saying is, and this is the judgment call that each person has to make when they've been exposed to the light. What are they going to do with it? And the description that's here is it says that there are some that who would hear this truth and yet the decision that they're going to make, the process they're going to go through is going to lead them saying, ah, you know what? I'm just going to stay in the darkness. I, I like the darkness. Darkness is okay for me. I just want to remind you something about the deceiver that loves to steal, to kill, and to devour. Is he is the one that loves to both tempt us but also to accuse us as well. Do you guys remember the, the story in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, Edmund, who seeks his Turkish delight, and the white witch who portrays this image of Satan, she gives him his, the desires of his heart, and it builds an appetite for him, for an ever-increasing desire, for an ever-decreasing satisfy, satisfy, uh, pleasure in his life. And, and ultimately, she is the one, when he ultimately turns on his siblings, that she's the one who's accusing him. Satan loves to expose the deeds of the darkness. He loves to do it in his own timing. He loves to draw people into the darkness, but he also loves to be the one who accuses them. Isn't that fascinating? That is his character. He loves to steal, to kill, and to devour. And though the darkness temporarily hides sin uh, with the myth of anonymity, this is always a temporary reality. This, this accuser is always there. And, and I love the way Leon Morris puts it. He says, the world's characteristic reaction to the word, remember in the beginning was the word, the world's characteristic reaction to the word is one of indifference. Hey, someday, I'll get there. Yeah, I'll figure it out. It's important. Hey, we're all good, right? We're all good people. No, actually what John 3 is saying is that you're either stuck in darkness or light. And you have a crisis to figure out, a decision, a choice, one that is essential for us. Verse 20, it says this, for everyone who does wicked things, he hates the light. The, and he does um, not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. And then he contrasts that in verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So there's this incredible contrast, a, a choice, a decision, a, a something that's worthless, meaningless, or something that's full of profound meaning, the kind of life that God's called for us to have. I think for some of us, we're just people who find ourselves surrounded by the darkness, and we think it's just the only way to live, you know? We've just conceded. So when we're told in Romans not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, and in other words, it's just saying, like, just be stuck in darkness. Just do things the way everybody else does. Live with the same priorities. Make the same decisions. I think it falls way short of what God wants for us. You think of a purely naturalistic approach to the world, that we were, um, we were not designed or invented, but instead that we just came about by chance. That fulfillment of that leaves us to be animals, people who just live your life with the best ability for you to consume and enjoy. And people use that as the foundation of their lifestyle. In fact, as the census went out, there were some people who chose to identify themselves or as surveys go out about what is your religious affiliation, there's a growing number of people, especially in our country, that identify themselves as 
nuns. Have you heard this? I don't mean nuns like, you know what I'm talking about. No, like the flying nun or whatever. Is that okay to say? Probably shouldn't have said that. Um, but the, uh, not nuns, but the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And the nuns would say, I'm just not religiously affiliated. And what's incredible is that modern psychology, secular psychology, says that that group of people is actually far more likely to be suicidal, to have mental health issues, to struggle through, than people who, this is really fascinating, the nuance of this is, have a certain belief in a truth that is essential for them. And that statement is really important, that we have a belief in something. It's not just a belief, but it's in the truth. And uh, this, this might look a little harsh. Some of you might look at this quote and say, Sean, that's a little mean. But atheists are despairing neurotics driven to suicide by relentless cosmic angst. Some of you are like, Sean, how could you put that in writing? But actually, this was um, written by Richard Dawkins, one of the most famous atheists in the world. And I, I look at that statement and I just think, like, if you take life from a purely naturalistic view, if, you, if you're stuck in darkness, then you find yourself just saying, what's the purpose? Why, why does it matter if I live or die? Where is the purpose that's in my life? And I think for some of us, when we talk about choosing to live in light or darkness, which is a purpose behind John. John, John isn't just a book about ideas. It's about belief and ideas. And what John says then um, that's, that's helpful for us to understand is in the midst of this choice, we have to be people who decide what we're going to do with the truth of the gospel. Earl D. Rademacher puts it powerfully. I, I, just, I just love this quote so much. He says, people today offer many excuses for not accepting Christ. I, I, I confess, I have had so many great spiritual conversations with people and and, and there's so many of these that have shown up in the conversation. Some cite the presence of hypocrites in the church. This is a really popular one today. How can I associate with Christianity because the church is filled with hypocrites? Others claim the inability to believe some of the truths about Christ or the gospel. I think some of the most offensive ones today are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Exclusivity is incredibly offensive in a pluralistic society like we live in. But many say that they cannot accept the fact that God permits so much suffering in the world. We hear this today a lot, problem of evil, the problem of pain. But then he goes on to say, I believe that these are merely attempts to conceal a heart in rebellion against God. In the context of this sermon, it's just, just people just want to stay in the darkness just want to keep living life the way that they've lived. And he says, the ultimate reason people do not come to Christ is that they do not really want to. Yeah, just, I just want to keep things the way I'm doing things. That, that is very convicting. And I think this, this statement that without Christ, that we're stuck in darkness, I think that it's important for us to understand that that, that is our option, light or darkness, and it's important for us to understand that, that that general belief that's so common today that man is inherently good, that we, we, we left to our own devices are going to make good decisions that are going to ultimately benefit us, that, that that does not leave or understand the need for the gospel. It really doesn't. It, it doesn't help us to understand the fact that Christ died on our behalf to take the place of our sins. So, 
So when we look at this, it, it brings us to what I believe is the third and essential point this morning, and that is the light of Christ is available to all. It says this in um, John chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but ever, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they may be clearly seen what his works have been carried out in God. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. Earlier we saw the description of the light being something that was available to all. In John 8, 12, I read this earlier. He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus said this. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have eternal life. I love the certainty of that, right? Like this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna experience the most precious gift that I can give to you. If we turn back to John chapter one, I wanna pick back up where we left off. We wanna see these verses, they're helpful. Beginning in verse 12, he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Adoption language is incredible. Adopted into the family of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of only, of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. So when we celebrate the, the star that stood over Bethlehem after Jesus was born, the declaration in the skies of his light that pierced the darkness, what we understand is that Jesus was one who brought light into a dark world. It was very prominent. It was very obvious. It was unavoidable. And yet, um, there are some who would choose to attempt to turn down that light, to ignore it, to, to keep living life according to their own standards. It's fascinating to me, at the end of verse 14, that it describes the Lord Jesus Christ as the true one who is full of grace, right? Like, the Lord Jesus is the one who is filled with grace. So, I challenge you this morning, it's time for us to be people who step into the light, that the invitation has been made very clear, that, that this grace-filled gift that the Lord has provided for us, that we celebrate during this Christ-mass time period where we look at what Jesus did through the incarnation, but also through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we just find ourselves being provided an incredible gift. But one thing that I love about John, if you've studied John, I want to recommend that you go back and look up, like John doesn't want us to be able to stay where we're at. He wants to keep us moving. It's a book of belief and action and pursuit of the Lord. And one of the things that he does here is he says, in the light of this, it's time for you to believe. It's time for you to make this choice. You know, historically, since the time of the Reformation, theologians have described the gospel as being something that requires us to, to understand it. It requires us to take a step of action and belief and receiving that truth. And, and, and in Latin, um, one Dr. Paul Jones Timothy puts it this way. He says, in Latin, there's kind of three parts to the, receiving the gospel that may help us to understand an essential component to it. The receiving of the gospel isn't just knowledge about the gospel. It's not just awareness, but there's a process when we ourselves express confidence in it. I think in John's language, it's actually moving from darkness into light. It's, it's believing. It's what he talked to Nicodemus about when he said, Nicodemus, you have the ability to, to be spiritually born again. But there's three Latin words that are helpful 
that, that can all happen at one moment. I think this is what happened with me. I, I went through all three of these in one moment. But for others, I believe it's possible that, that one of these three things are things that you haven't made the choice in your life to do. The first is this not- notatia. One becomes aware of the details of the gospel, the promises and the claims of it. For some of us, we've grown up around the words of the gospel. We've, we've heard them expressed to us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'd be saved. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord for that, right? That's the message of the gospel. But for some, they're not just, they, they hear that truth, but what I love about this next Latin word, ascensus, is expressing confidence in the claims of the gospel. Romans 10, 9, Hebrews 11, 3, 1 John 5, 1. These all describe this, this understanding. Like, I, I get it. I, I, I believe it's true. Like, this is, this is me confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, you know? And believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I love this legal term that we use in other places in our society, fiducia. And it's an individual placing his or her personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not telling you you have to know these words to accept Christ. I'm just telling you that what these scholars have done from the beginning of time is to say, don't just be aware of the gospel Don't just be exposed to its truth, but to agree with it. Like, I I accept that this is true. And then to be willing to be someone who accepts this gift. Let me illustrate this in a particular way. Like, if you were sick and you went to the doctor, and the doctor said to you, I have diagnosed your sickness, and I'm going to provide for you medicine that's going to help you. You take this medicine, and it's it's going to really help you to be healthy. A doctor who can say that... Is, is, is like the Lord Jesus Christ when he says to us that I can move you from darkness into light. There's, there's a promise to you that you don't have to live in darkness anymore. But receiving that medicine and actually taking it is different from just knowing about it, right? That it requires the effort of receiving it. So in the language of giving and receiving, what we believe is that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the perfect gift in his own self-sacrifice. The question for each one of us is that personalized, packaged, delivered gift of the gospel to each one of us is something that we can choose not to open or not. And so today, as we come to the conclusion of this message, I want to gently remind you that that the gospel came through the, the living word of the Lord Jesus Christ. The light pierced the darkness, giving us the opportunity to experience purpose in our lives. But the the ability for us to reject that or to receive it has been left to us, that the Lord's given us that privilege. And I believe that that's the privilege of each individual who's been exposed to the light of the gospel. The Lord doesn't force himself upon us. He has provided for us a Messiah, the hope of the world. And the question for each one of us today is, are you going to be someone who chooses to live in the light of that gift of the light of the world? Are you going to be a person who chooses to not just be aware of the fact that Jesus came as the prophesied hope of the world, but that that new covenant promise of you going from death to life is his promise to you, his perfect promise. And you know those words, we started there, the words that... The described to those shepherds 
on that day so many years ago, what was happening? I just love that it was shepherds that heard the message, that these, these poor individuals that lived an agrarian life that were probably relatively unimportant in the grand scheme of things, that God, the God of the universe, would look down at them and he would say, I bring you good news of great joy. That's what I want to do today. I want to bring you good news of great joy. You can choose to receive it, or you can choose to just continue to ignore it and let it be a decision to choose to live in darkness. I think it's a pretty obvious choice to me. And I prayed for each one of us that we would be people, those of us who know this truth, that we would be people like the, uh, the, the Herald John, John the Baptist, who was a witness to that truth. You know, it's not hard to be a witness because you've seen something, you've experienced it, you just declare it, right? Like, this is what I've gone through. This is what God's done for me. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was a prophetic word. But also, later in John's life, he could also declare Jesus as being the Messiah because he'd experienced it firsthand in his own life. So that's my question, that's my challenge. And I would ask that you join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to search our hearts in this time of Christmas where we celebrate the light piercing the darkness. Lord, we love you and I thank you and praise you for the, the joy that is obvious in scripture. I thank you that as we look around us and see individuals who are just stuck in the darkness of, of the world that's around us, that the deceiver is winning in their life, deceiving them, stealing, killing, and devouring. Lord, I just I want to thank you that you came that we might have life and we might have it to the fullest. Lord, that you brought the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And so today I just pray for each one of us that, that each time we consider that star of Bethlehem, each time we consider this phrase of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Lord, that we would find ourselves able to boldly declare that he truly is the light of the world and he truly is our light. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.